Building in Shmuel, Perak Tesvav. And we're holding by the Pasuk where Shmuel turned to go. Shaul grabs hold of his coat and his, his, his garment he was wearing and his coat and it drops. And Shmuel's insignificance in that and he says, just like this representing Hashem has torn uh, the kingdom from you. So we saw that, that idea of uh, the clothing tearing as being a symbolic, we see in other places in the Navi as well. What, what is the meaning of it? What is the meaning of it? So that's, uh, why would you use that as the cube, so to speak, of the sliver? So the first point you must understand always is that there's a... So let's start with the risk of There's a risk of in this possible. That when Hashem is told to do things, Hashem has torn the mouthless from you and gave, given it to your friend, I tell you, who's better than you. So, so the Briskarov says that you know that there's a rule. When there's a the verb which is negative, it can be changed. Negative in a verb, if a person does trivial, so Hashem can rescind the negative. Whereas a positive, the verb can't be changed. So, even though this was a negative verb, for sure, like we saw, Shmuel told me really twice before, that Hashem's taking the mouthless away from you. So Shmuel might think, Shmuel might think that uh, okay, it's a negative number, but I can still do shiver, and perhaps I can change it. Like always, a negative number can be changed with shiver. But uh, now what Shmuel tells him is that Hashem has taken the malchus away from you and given it nereyach atovimach. He's given to somebody else. So for you it might be a negative number, but for them it's a positive number. And therefore, even if you would think you can change it, you can't change it from their point of view. Because for them it's in the world which is a, something good which can't be changed. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what Shmuel adds now. And that's the symbol also. That when a Nabi says something with Shem Hashem, so it's something which is more the threat. Whereas a Nabi does something, or there's an action, that normally shows that it's something which is more final. It's already being brought down into the world of action. And that's why when you now they saw his coding, so that's a symbol that the Lachas has been told for you. It's more than just in a verb. It's uh, something which has actually been acted out on, so to speak. And that makes more of a cue that it's, it's, it's unchangeable. You have to grab something pretty hard to tear it. Right. So Shalom must have grabbed this clothing pretty hard in order to tear it. Then he saw that was symbolic. So that's a sign that uh, the Malchus is haunting it. In other words, it's no longer ch- possible to change. Thank you. Now the next Pasuk, which we saw in his explanation, Pasuk of Tess, Shmuel says, V'gam Netzach Yisrael, lo yishakher, lo yinachem. Netzach Yisrael, which means Literally, the one who brings victory to Kali Yisrael, he doesn't lie and he doesn't change his mind. He's not a person to change his mind. So, firstly, why this strange title for Hashem as a Netzach Yisrael? It's not something one finds very often. Hashem is referred to as a Netzach Yisrael, um, number one. And number two, what's the, the comparison? He doesn't change his mind because he's not a person to change his mind. And that's very similar to what Bidam said. That, that we've been to the same thing. That is, a person who can change his mind. In other words, the Mashmur says people can change their mind, Hashem doesn't. But the big question, and that's the main question, is this whole parish is Hashem changing his mind. Hashem says, I've changed my mind that I wanted Shal to be the king. So here in the parish itself, so he's saying to Shal, Hashem changed his mind about your kingdom. How can he say at the same time that Hashem doesn't change his mind? It seems to be somewhat incongruous. Yeah. What's, the, what's, what's, the, what's the point that Shmuel is trying to put across? What's the concept of Netzach Yisrael? 
There are various explanations given. What I'd like to share with you is an explanation given by the Shlok from the name of a Kabbalah Sefer called Talas Yaakov. I don't know who the Talas Yaakov was, but it's, yeah, but it's a very often quoted in the Shlok. Uh, he was an earlier near Arusha, a Makubal, and he tells us very interesting things. So he explains the concept of Netzach. He says there's a Midah which is called Netzach, which means to have it. To be victorious, to be more powerful. It's the method with which Hashem uses to subdue his enemies. Which, if Hashem is going to overpower whatever negative there is, whatever enemy there is of Hashem, that uses the middle of Netzach. He says there's a middle that Israel has that they're meant to be victorious over whoever the enemies are. And that's the middle of Netzach too. Now, and this is the amazing thing. He said, when Yaakov Avinu meets Esau, after he was coming back from Laban, so it says Yaakov bows down to Esau. Not only that, his children and his wives bow down to Esau too. And by doing that, they had surrendered the middle of Netzach to Esau. By bowing down to somebody, you show that they are more powerful than you are. You show that you humble yourself in front of them. So they had given, so to speak, Esau a certain ability to overpower the Jewish people. Rather than standing up and showing that we're not going to, we're not going to give in to you. We're going to be strong. We're going to withstand you. And uh, when they bow down, it shows that we're going to accept you as more powerful than us. And then they have surrendered this method of netzach, of the power, of the victory that Israel has, to Esau. Uh, says it to Yaakov. Yaakov bowed down. His wives bowed down. His sons will bow down. So really, there was a kimat complete. A victory of Esau of Yaakov at that stage, with one exception, and that was Binyamin who hadn't yet been born. And Binyamin still had within him the ability to withstand Esau, because he was a uh, he hadn't ever bowed to Esau, so he hadn't accepted mm-hmm. Esau as more powerful than his mother didn't bow down with him. Um, his mother bowed down. The pastor says he wasn't she wasn't pregnant with him. Uh-huh. Uh, we know that it was 18 months that they spent in Sukkot before they went to. The journey to Basel, where Rachel died on the journey, so that was more than long, long, longer than he would have been uh, before. Conceived. Yeah, been conceived. Okay, so that's the that's the. But that would just make him the offspring of people that have already. But that's true. But he himself never had that. They had, he had, and that's why the hope was that Shaul, as a king from Binyamin, would be able to destroy Esau. That's Amalek. Was the Amalek is like distilled. Nation of Esau, because he hadn't ever lost to Esau, he hadn't ever given in to Esau, surrendered to Esau, and that was the hope of King Shah, that he would be the one to overcome Esau, and he wasn't successful. He wasn't successful. So now that's what Shimon Abi tells him. He says, "You should know you failed your mission in life. Your mission in life was to overcome Esau. That was the opportunity you had as a king of Benjamin, and you've lost that. But don't think that because of that Hashem given up the plan." The Netzach Yisrael means that the Hashem who wants Israel to have this middle of Netzach is not going to, hasn't, he won't change his mind. Because uh, he's not a person to change his mind. What he means by that is something very deep. And that is, a person can do wrong. And then Hashem will say, I don't want that person anymore. But it's not, going to set, it's not going to change Hashem's plan. The fact that the person he had crowned to do a job doesn't do it, so it doesn't mean, well, it's too bad. He didn't do it, so the plan is not going to happen. So that's Shul to, so Shul to Shul. You were meant for this job. This is why Hashem made you a king. This was your mission. You failed. But don't mean that. Don't think that means Hashem has given up on the plan. 
it'll still have to be Mishkan some other way, because Hashem doesn't change plans. It's the, the person Hashem can change. If Hashem does, the person doesn't do a job, Hashem will find someone else to replace them. As we're saying over here, Hashem is going to replace you with a different king, but Hashem is not giving up the plan he had that the Netzach of Klai Yisrael is going to be victorious. When did it happen? So it's a Netzach. If we know that. This was Mordechai's challenge. Mordechai was also Peshavik in Yavit. Mordechai was also the leader of the Jewish people. And the Talaz Yaakov says this a step further. He says, Haman also understood this. Which the Haman was so desperate that Mordechai should bow down to him. Because if Mordechai bow down to him, then he'll complete that victory of the whole of Klai Yisrael. And when Mordechai won't bow down, now he decides we're going to destroy the Jewish people because I haven't got a victory over everybody. And Mordechai understood this too. And that's why Mordechai came with me, he wasn't bowing down to Haman. To Haman. He was going to not flinch. He was going to show that he doesn't bow down to Haman. And that was his victory. His victory was this middle victory over Haman came from the fact that Mordechai didn't bow down. It was after that strength, that resilience, which, gave, which Mordechai had, which gave him the victory over Haman. Because Klai Yisrael couldn't fight Haman. We saw this lots of times. When Haman tried to destroy Klai Yisrael, he was successful. He came with a decree to wipe out the Jewish people, and the decree got passed. When Haman came a second time to hang Mordechai in the tree, that's when everything went wrong for Haman. Uh, first, he landed up in being parading Mordechai around the, the city, and later on, he landed up being hung on that same tree planned for Mordechai to teach you. Haman could overcome the Jewish people, but Haman couldn't overcome Mordechai. Uh, why? Because he, there was no Netzach. He had no way to have be victorious over Mordechai. And that's what Mordechai Dafka achieved by not going down to Haman. He was standing there to show that he wasn't going to concede, so to speak, anything to Haman. That's, it. That, that's what gave him his power. And Shaul didn't give that over, he just didn't Shaul didn't give it over, he just didn't use that advantage to destroy him. That's why the Netzach Yisrael never lost. And he was at the same point. You know, there's a principle in Tanakh. And that is, if you deserve to overcome somebody else, so then you get to keep their things. If you don't, Hashem saved you for some other reason, then you have no right to take their things. So, for example, Mitzrayim. Klai Yisrael deserved to overcome Mitzrayim. So they took all the, all the bills of Mitzrayim. They took all the possessions, all the scrolls of Mitzrayim. There were times when we were victorious, we didn't deserve it. And then, we were, even if we were victorious, victorious, we weren't allowed to take the things of the enemy because we, because we were better than them. Hashem did a nice to save us, but that to save us. They didn't give us the right to take their, their possessions. And you see the same thing. When it came to the fights against the Malek, it says this a number of times in the Megillah. They couldn't take anything from the spoils of Haman's fighters, Haman's armies, because they didn't really deserve to be saved. So Hashem did a nest for them that they were victorious, but they had no right to the spoils. The one person who did get something was Malachi. But also my Melech is Malachi obeys Haman. The house of Haman, the possessions of Haman, and the position of Haman all went to Malachi. He deserved it. So he was able to take over Haman's possessions, Haman's position as well. And that's the difference. And that's what we say, that's what we say. when we talk about uh, the nest of Purim, what we say is, Shu'asim ha Yisrael Netzach. The Shu'a was from this middle of Netzach. That what gave place, or, the, or more like Mordechai, the victory of Haman, was he was, he was the only one who was still holding on to the middle of Netzach. He hadn't bound, he hadn't some humbled himself to Haman, he was still able to be victorious over him. That was the Koyach which brought down Haman, which was really meant to be the Koyach Shal used here, to bring down, to bring down Amalek, which he didn't use successfully, as Shmuel tells him, you failed in your mission, but the mission stays the same. The Netzach Yisrael is going to is going to remain in Netzach Yisrael, and there will be a future day when that will be proud, that, that 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 victory will be felt. But Mordechai didn't destroy Amalek, though. The only Shmuel says. Now, so Shmuel says, 
eventually he doesn't try and justify anymore, but he says, uh, I sent. But he doesn't leave it at that. He says, but now overlook that. I talk. At least give me, do me, like, give me the respect of joining me in front to. Who's friend? Shaul. So it's true, I sinned, but at least give me the honor of in front of the whole Ta Israel. In other words, Shmuel already wanted to leave. Shmuel didn't want to stay with Shaul, and uh, that would have been a big embarrassment to Shaul. I think he was building his um, like his monument to celebrate his victory. The whole all his soldiers, everyone was there. The Navi Shmuel comes, and the Navi Shmuel leaves and leaves and abandons. It's already obvious that he had done something wrong. Obvious that the Navi wasn't happy with him. So Shaul says to him, "Okay, I send. I accept that." But at least Kabbalah, at least not embarrassed in front of everybody else. Obviously, they weren't privy to the discussion between them. And he said, and come back with me and show that you're willing, that you're willing to bow down to Hashem with me, that you're not showing that you added something wrong in public. And then again, we, it's an amazing thing to think about. We said, this is the same Shaul who had no problem before. He was hiding, he was hiding away that people wouldn't realize he's the king. And now, when he's just been told, you're going to lose the kingdom, you've, got, you've, you've ruined your mission in that. Okay, okay, I said that. But it is not embarrassing. At least come back and come back. You know. Chazal point this out. Chazal say that before a person gets covered, he might be run away from it. But after a person gets covered, to leave it is much more difficult. And now that Shal was the king, and he, he, so then went to, so to speak, relinquish the what, the covered that he wanted as a king was much harder. Okay, so this was now Shmuel's Shmuel's done his job. He told Shal the message of the Talmud. Shmuel agrees to come with him. Vayashav Shmuel Achari Shal. Hashem was to thank Hashem for the victory of Ramarek, and here Shmuel joins him. So that it seems at this stage Kaishal didn't know the nature of the conversation, Kaishal didn't know what Shmuel had told him. Now, the next point is very interesting. Shmuel says, Hagisha and I Remember Gag is still alive. And this whole time Gag is still alive. So he says, "Hagish and I is Agag Melech Hamalek. Bring me the Agag. Vayalechel of Agag Madanos." What does the word Madanos mean? Is a big discussion here between the Mefarshim. The most simple shot is what Rabbi Yishai says and others that his, his hands were bound. So they brought basically they brought Agag to him in handcuffs. And others, they didn't let him go. He was he was a prisoner of war, and they, they brought him tied up so that he couldn't escape. That's the simple shot of Madanos. And the Rabbi says the same thing, Adam Fashim as well, Adam Mutsujas. The Targum Yonison explains it the second way, and he says, Madanus comes with Madan, which means somebody who's pampered, somebody who's. Uh, and therefore they brought a character, he said, Lashkar is Agag Mafanka, someone that, they had, that had been always uh, uh, given luxuries, treated in a, with, with every ex, like everything unnecessary, which was uh, any physical excess. It's not clear from the Targum. Uh, Rashi doesn't say anything from the Targum. It's not clear if that meant that in, beforehand um, ra- that that's why Agag had always acted, he had always lived a very, so to speak, pampered lifestyle, or that the Jews were treating him like that. And that they, they brought him Agag from being, the Jews were looking after him, taking good care of him, instead of exactly after that, not having tied him up and him like a prisoner, they, they treated him like a royal guest. And uh, the Mashmaras of some of the Parshim is, in that some of the talking about this, and that is that they brought, that they, they had been treating Agag, they had been pampering him, they were looking after him very well, 
and they brought him a guy from being well well cared for. Why and the question is, why would Klai Yisrael do that? Why would Klai Yisrael do that? And this would be part of the problem. In other words, if they felt that they were going to bring up, that this was going to be the Kiddush Hashem to kill a publicly, that we said before it might have been a justification, okay, he's still have money, treat him like a prisoner. Why would they look after him? Why would they take good care of him? So here's the part of the problem. That Kiddush, that they felt that there was a certain uh, re- reluctance if you were to kill a guy. And that's why they, in the meantime, they weren't treating him like a prisoner, they were treating him like a captive, but they take good care of him. What, yeah. what, what, what were they attracted to? Now, what was the, what was the matter? What, what did that guy have that would treat him well? So, it's interesting. There's a, we'll see in the next passage, there's a Machlokas uh, in the Mephoshim about who was the ancestry of Agak. He was the king of Amalek. But there's a third, and you'll see why, this, why the Mephoshim says in the next passage, that Agak's mother wasn't from Amalek. His father was, which is why he became king of Amalek, but his mother wasn't. And uh, if that's the case, so the Mephoshim bring down, some of the Mephoshim bring down, that they weren't sure what to do with him. Because we, 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 there's actually an argument in the Rishonim. And when we look at somebody who's the product of two non-Jewish nations, so do we go by the father's nation or the mother's nation? So let's say a Mitzri would marry an Adomi. Do we call the child a Mitzri or an Adomi? So in other words, does the lineage by the Goyim work by the mother or by the father? Now we never ask Kali Yisrael it works by the, that rendering someone Jewish works by the mother. Which I would from works by the father. But uh, so a, a, a son of a Kohen is a Kohen. Uh, the, son, the son of a lady who's a Jewess is a Jew. So it, it changes. When it comes to different nations, what does it go by? The father or the mother? So this is not like a How do we work at lineage by Goyim? So one of the Nachronim has all said that that's what they weren't sure to do with a guy. Because it's true, his father's from Amalek, his mother's from some other nation. And therefore, if you're going to say that we go by the father, he's five missing. And we say God's by the mother, then he's not. In other words, okay, then, then he's considered uh, halakhically, not an, even if he'd been the king of Amalek, halakhically, we're going to consider him whatever the nation of his mother is. And uh, so then, that's what they're holding on to him, we weren't sure what to do. So, I think that was from the So, Shmuel wasn't, wasn't in doubt about it. Which is why Shmuel decided, uh, remember Shmuel was also the dying of Israel, not just the Navi. Shmuel decided that Chayav Misa. It would, could be that this would be a riot, that's, if, if that's what the Sophic was, that Shmuel passed and that we go by the father, not the mother, which is Baitzim, how we do Baitzim today. That we come, come to a non-Jewish nation, and there's nothing in the Halach. For example, Halach is, um, okay, we might not have it practically anymore, but the missionary talks about when you have an Amoni, a man of Amoni can't marry the Chayav Israel. Well, what if his mother was from Amman and his father was from somewhere else? Can he marry a Jew? In the case of we have that kind of suffering here also. So we pass him the girls by the father. Anyway, that would be the Mahrak, because that's how Shmuel passed him to. He says, Bring me a gag, I want to kill him. So they bring him a gag, but he a gag. And it's also interesting if to understand. A gag sees Shmuel, and obviously a gag understands um, that Shmuel does not come to Shalom Aleichem to Shmuel wants to kill him. So he says to Shalom Sar Maramakas. Um, what did he mean by that? So, so what does the words mean? Uh, so, so what do the words mean? The, so the way Rashi explains it, uh, the way Rashi explains it, and the way Radak explains it, is uh, not the normal way to explain the process. They explain the word sar as it's coming, which means it's coming to me, the, the, the pain of death. And I understand you're going to kill me. Sar means to turn, no? Then normally we say sar means to turn away. 
But uh, and that's what the the Tazim of Hashem is saying. Rashi says sorry means karav. It's 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 coming. And as you said, I know you're going to kill me. Um, that uh, so that was that was the that was the way they explained it. There's two other ways to explain the pasuk. The second way to explain the pasuk is the way that the Targum explains it. That's what the Targum means again. But the way that he explains the words is he says, I'll read it. He says, Babaribani, Merir Maisa. Now, Babaribani is uh, some kind of request, please, my master. And what did he say? Merir Maisa, which is Mara Mavis. So, how do they understand Sar? Can you really understand it from Nashan Sar? Which is Sar is a minister, somewhere important. So he understood it as a request. He was asking Shah. He was asking Shmuel, what is he asking for? What is he asking for? So here the here the before Shem explained different options of what 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 the request would have been. But as they explained, and the request was, uh, even though it's, it's not exactly the Targum's word, it's very much means the bitterness of death. But uh, that was explained to me exactly the opposite. In other words, if you're going to kill me, kill me painlessly. Yeah, so take away the mirrors, take away the pain of the death, just kill me without causing me pain. It doesn't explain the, the, the request like that. Um, but sar mar amavas, take away the bitterness of death. Yeah. Uh, is that that that, that, that we want to explain the pasuk? Um, the other the other way to explain the pasuk is exactly the opposite, and that is the Rani Shai says. And he says, I'm no longer afraid of that. So the Mara Mobis, the, 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 the pain of dying has left sorry, has left me. I'm not, I'm not afraid to die. Now, whichever way it's going to be, whether he was going to say, I am afraid to die, I'm not afraid to die, I know I'm going to die, whatever it was, the question is, why do we care? Why does it make a difference to us what a guy's going to say? Why the last words makes a difference to us? So, let's see the next part, we'll see how it happens in the context. So he says, I am Shmuel. So Shmuel doesn't just just like your sword made ladies childless, shocking someone who's lost their children. So just like you caused other ladies to lose their children um, by killing them, by killing them. Same thing, your mother is going to be rendered childless. In other words, we're going to kill you also. Your your mother is going to be rendered childless. Now, it's a strange thing to say. What's what does she want with it? So this is what the version of quote before said. What's up? That's the question. Why was Agag's mother still alive? If they killed all the people of Amalek except for Agag, why was his mother still alive? Oh, so that's what they bring a riot to what I said before. Mm-hmm. His mother wasn't an Amalek, so they couldn't kill her. And so they weren't sure what to do with him. And if that's the case, I said before, if Shmuel decided to to, to kill Agag, he passed him, he go by the father. Here's the version say no. It could be not like that. Shmuel says, I'm not killing you because I'm a lucky. I'm killing you because you're a murderer. You killed other people, I'm killing you as a murderer. That isn't I'm a lucky, because he wasn't sure. He also wasn't sure what to do with him. So that's why he gives this whole act It wasn't that I'm killing you because you're from Amalek, but because because you killed other people, that's why I'm killing you too. I'm killing you as a kid, as a girl, as a as avenging a murderer. Okay, that's a really a very nice chat. Now, friendly is why we need this Russia. We still have to see tomorrow, Beis Hashem, how it, how it uh, relates back to what Agag told him. What did Agag mean? That uh, I'm not scared to die, please don't kill me, whatever it's going to be, and how does this answer to that? And then how did he kill him? Vayashasif. Shmuel Agag is Nashem Rebilgo. It's a very unusual word, Vayashasif. Uh, it doesn't just mean he killed him, it means he cut him to pieces. 
like all the Russian explained, why did he do that? So the Russian, those two last words, talk about the 